Good morning, live from Los Angeles and Sinai Temple. This is Rabbi Eric Sherman, Rabbi on the Sidelines, where sports and faith intersect. This morning, we are joined from New York by Dave Sims, two-time Emmy Award-winning sports broadcaster, voice of the Seattle Mariners, excited to hear a little about baseball season, and longtime college football and basketball analysts across the country from east to west. Dave, it's so great to have you. Nice to see you. Good to see you, Rabbi. How are you? I'm wonderful. So much to talk about. It's March Madness. It's my favorite time of the year. I know uh, many people are watching the games while they're hopefully listening to us. Um, But lots to talk about. Let's talk about breaking news right now. Duke has just uh, been not eliminated, but uh, stopped their season because of a positive COVID test. What's your thought on that based on your radio show, weekly radio show with Coach K? And how do you think what's happening behind the scenes right now? You know, it, it's uh, it's catastrophic. I mean, I, I only found out about it a few hours ago, I guess, right after it happened. And we had just taped today, you know, today's Thursday. So we did our show Monday. Usually we do it on Thursday. And it was all fired up. They won a couple of games. You know, they were getting into that you never know situation. I think they would have been playing Florida State. Uh, and it's just so sad that, you know, here it was. They 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 didn't really have too many peaks. They had a couple of valleys, and it looked like they were on their way out of it. Now this happens, and it's just the era of COVID. I mean, it's just. I mean, what can I tell you? It, it's not. It's not good. I've I've not reached out to Mike. I'm gonna let it breathe for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I feel badly for the kids. I feel badly for the fans. Yeah, my wife went to Duke uh, mm-hmm. grad, and I've been working with Mike on the show at SiriusXM for 16 years. And wow, it's uh, it stinks. It's bad. And let's talk about Coach K just for a moment because we're on that topic. 16 years working with him. I know you knew him back in the day with uh, when you were in the Daily News, WFAN, as a young coach at Army, did you ever see his trajectory going as a Hall of Famer to Duke, turning around that program, and to be honest, off the court, just making such a huge impact in the lives of young people? If anybody said they saw this, they're lying. Um, <laughs> he, was, you know, he was a good coach, and he had a couple of good teams. Had Gary Winton was this – he was uh, – it was almost like, as I think about it now, he was a 6'4", Mike Tyson. Thankfully, he didn't punch anybody out, but he was that burly, that strong, and he was a classic – you know, undersized five man who would battle anybody all day, all night. And uh, they had some good teams and obviously they're disciplined, you know, good looking ball clubs. And then, you know, Mike has made the most of his opportunity. He's become a magnet. It's a pleasure. It's just a joy to work with him. And one of the many things I like, I've got plenty of experience doing talk radio, talk TV and everything. But boy, when the producer calls up and says, hey, uh, Coach K wants to talk to you. Oh yeah, what time? Okay. yeah, I can't do it now, but I can do it. I mean, the cachet is such that, I mean, we've got, we get Belichick and Saban, and we get, uh, oh, my God, we baseball winners, the NASCAR winners, the NBA winners, whoever wins the national championship, and, and, and everybody in between. It's a lot of fun. Well, here on Rabbi on the Sidelines, we got Dave Sins. When you uh, sent me that email and said, let's do this, uh, it really, really was a true honor. I want to tell you that growing up in Syracuse, New York, there were two voices that I heard on the weekend. One was my dad's, who was also a rabbi, in his sermon. But the second sermon came from you doing Big East football <laughs> games of the week. That evening, oh, you come man. home, turn on the TV, and it was Rabbi Sherman Sr. and Dave Sims. Tell us about the uh, just going into those environments and what does it mean to bring sports to the world with what's going on in your mind and bringing it out through your voice? Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting you say that. I mean, I think about all the times, you know, growing up in Philly and how much enjoyment I got out of sports, being involved in it, you know, watching it. 
uh, and my father was a big sports fan. We went to every game. I mean, I grew up watching Wilt, Jim Brown, Willie Mays, Dick Allen, all those guys. And, uh, and then, and prior to that, when I was, he would, I would tag along with him in the Philadelphia post office, softball league games. He was the commissioner of basketball. So, I mean, I was meant to be in sports and, um, it, it, it's, it's really cool. I got to tell you, it was, uh, my first, I think the stepping stone was getting a Temple University radio job, which led to, that was in 90, that led to uh, February 91 ESPN. And then in 93, I did started the Big East football game of the week. I did 93, 94, then again from like 98 to 07. I mean, you know, it was my part of the country, man. I-95 territory, and and he had some great rivalries and, and uh, a lot of fun coaches and just venues and, and a great crew that we worked with TV-wise. So, yeah, it, it, it's a big part of my life. And uh, I always loved going into Syracuse in those days because I had some good teams, man. And the yeah, last the really good team they have. I mean, Evan, you know, the worst thing that ever happened to Syracuse football is McNabb graduated. So yeah. uh, <laughs> that was the last of the really tremendous and, and nationally ranked and contending teams back then, but I, I enjoyed it. You know, Syracuse, BC, you know, Temple, Rutgers, uh, West Virginia, Pitt, Syracuse. Wow, it's just, it, I enjoyed the heck out of it. Any moments in the Carrier Dome that you can really think of that stick out that couldn't happen anywhere else? Um, I remember uh, Raph and I were doing a basketball game up there, and uh, Bill Raftery, and I think it was playing Tennessee. I want to say Jerry Green was the coach, and we went to shoot around, and we were, we were just coming down from the end zone, you know, from the main entrance, and some super fan had got in there, and he was screaming about the Orange is going to do this to you, and they're going to do that to you. And he's screaming at the top of his lungs, and Jerry ran right up towards him. And it was just just this verbal confrontation. this guy out of there. That's one of the funniest things I remember. And it's so many great games. I mean uh, – uh, I think the first CBS game I did was Kentucky at Syracuse. That was a oh, good wow. Yes, wow. Packer. I think, yeah, it was 94, 95. Sounds and, about right. In the Mashburn years. Yeah, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And just just the intensity of Big East games. And and Raph, you know, when we'd go in and see Jimmy before a game, and Raph would, you know, they they go way back. I think if they play against each other. They, they might have crossed paths on the court in a year. When uh, Billy was playing at LaSalle and, and uh, Jimmy was at, Bain, at, uh, at Syracuse. Uh, but it, Raph always had to knee like, come on, Jimmy, give us something we can talk about. <laughs> <laughs> and the man-to-man call. You can't beat that one every time. BC yeah, you know, like if Syracuse wins, no, and uh, Boston College wins the tip. And Dave Sims, Syracuse yeah. goes, matchup's up. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So let's talk about the non-sports world of what you see, but within the sports, uh, the sports community. Again, we're talking about sports and faith. 30 years that you have been in this business, from the East Coast to the West Coast, from basketball to football, from TV to writing to radio. Is there any aspect of faith that you have seen in sports through the players, the coaches, the coaches, the owners, the managers? And if so, has it changed at all over the last 30 years? Um, I mean, I've seen the Tim, you know, I've seen, I remember doing a game where Tim Tebow did, mm. did a game. He, who the heck was he with? He was with, he was playing New England. It must have been Denver. It was one of his stops. And, you know, he's very religious. And, and so many guys, you know, reach, you know, point to this guy and all that kind of stuff. I, I think it, it, it's funny you mention it. It's not something I really thought a heck of a lot about. I mean, I have my own way of doing things. And, uh, 
I, I always think back to Bill Curry, who was a, a terrific coach, a heck of a player in the NFL. And I says, hey, I'm religious, but he, it was a line in an NFL Films feature. He says, the big guy doesn't care if you win or lose. It's, you know, it's how you live your life. And everybody's, you know, thank you for the touchdown. You know, you know when you, when you drop the touchdown pass, who we, you know, you say anything to anybody? Exactly. <laughs> he said, the big guy doesn't care about that. And I, and I, I ran into Bill going into a game in Baltimore one day. And I told him that, that really, that really stayed with me. Um, you know, if it, I'm not, I, I, I could, I could, I could do a hell of a lot better than I'm doing right now. Uh, religion wise and, Raised Catholic, married a Jewish girl. Raised the, the kids were bar mitzvah. The oldest was married to Jewish ceremony. Uh, what I like to what I like to do more. Reverend, I, I wish I, I could do more. Um, and I had my own inner voice, and I say my own you know, thing. But in terms of what I see outside in the sports milieu, you know, I, I don't see. You know, I'll, some of the Catholic schools you hear them saying saying Hail Mary or something before a game. If you're if we have access to a huddle, or if I'm just at a game, you know. Uh, I'm not working it, but I'm just hanging out maybe with a coach friend of mine or something. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, I don't I, – I think back in the 50s and 60s, you hardly saw it. And I think mm-hmm. the 70s and 80s, we probably have seen more demonstrations of that kind of stuff. And guys hit a home run and they're doing all this. It's like, yeah, when you're going – when you're over your last 17, what are you doing? <laughs> Actually, so, when I was in a rabbinical school in New York at the Jewish Theological Seminary, Upper West Side, we had to write mm-hmm. a uh, – a metaphor for God and me being, you know, the artist drew a picture, the musician wrote a song and me being a sports person, I wrote the metaphor that God is a coach and exactly what you said. It was, you know, who's getting the credit when things are going well, right? Oh, thank God. But who's not getting the credit when things aren't going well. And it's not God. And in fact, that's when the coach gets tossed, right? Um, is it the players, the coaches, the gods, the people? It's that relate that, that sacred relationship last week or a couple of weeks ago, Seth Greenberg said, the locker room is our sick. You have your synagogue. We have our locker room. Right. Um, and finding those, if you wish, sacred moments. I think what you said uh, that how we live our life and you said you have an inner voice. I want to talk about inner voice right now based on the Seattle Times article that you wrote. Um, I want to quote that for a moment. You said it's 2020 in the words of the late 1960s Mississippi civil rights leader Fannie Lou Hamer are as poignant now as then. You said she said, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. What are you sick and tired of? What should we be sick and tired of? And how do you, in your job as a sports broadcaster, bring that out to us? Well, you know, a racial discrimination, any kind of discrimination, and uh, whether it be racial, LGBTQ, uh, those folks, uh, it's just that, you know, we, we went through this such upheaval in the summertime, <clears throat> last summer, and the Seattle Times reached out to me and said, you know, we respect you as one of the voices in Seattle. Would you mind saying something? I said, well, yeah, okay, yeah, we'll do it. I just think that there's just no place for that stuff in a country that you know talks about how great it is and everybody gets a chance. And then mm-hmm. you go out and that's not the case. And, you know, I could, I said that you know, George Floyd thing could have, could have been me or some, some, some of my black friends. I mean, it could have been anybody. And, you know, what, what that, that police officer did uh, to him is reprehensible beyond words. Um, I and how do I bring it across in in, uh, in my broadcasting? You know, I, I try, you know 
there were growing up there were there were broadcasters you'd hear use code words or dog whistle words about black athletes and i and i go against that i i make sure i say especially if i you know i'm, I'm a reporter too but i will go out of my way sometimes to say hey you know that was a really smart play and it happens to be about an african african-american we never i never heard that growing up oh such a great athlete. instinctually boy you get you know you ever take into account that these guys put in an extraordinary amount of work black guys and white guys and to say that you know uh, you know guys you know, come out of the womb being able to go to the left and be able to shoot a 30-foot jumper that takes work mm-hmm. i mean you got there's some talent but that takes work too and to hear that stuff over the years, when I really became aware of it, probably in late high school, certainly early college years, and then knowing that I wanted to get into broadcasting and that I was very sensitive to it when I was writing, and I would, you know, watch, you know, watching a million games and and talk, and then and then being at games and talking to people and hear writers, other writers, and talking to broadcasters and hear them say that stuff really ticked me off, and uh, I. I I'm making a point that, yeah, so-and-so, uh, he, he's a really good base dealer, but you ever take into account how he studies studies pitchers and how mm-hmm. he tells and how, <clears throat> and how uh, I mean, and the same thing for any sport that you can think of. These guys, you know, black guys, white guys, but the you know, black guys, never, we never get credit. And that's the problem we're having now, trying to get, you know, Eric Bianami and some and other guys to get head, head coaching jobs after they put in the work, put in the time to be, mm-hmm. be a, an OC or a DC or a special teams guy or uh, you know, position coach. You know, we're perfectly capable of doing everything all the white guys can do too, and it includes broadcasting. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the fact that- Yeah, I know you're the, you're the, I believe you're the only black major league Broadcaster, is that correct? Well, uh, yeah, yeah, with a little bit of a little twist. In the, as we say, in the non-player division, non-former player division. Oh, interesting. Really the only one currently, Kenny Stilton does with the Yankees, as you know, does some play-by-play and does some color, mostly play-by-play. And he's winding down. He's trying to retire. They won't let him. They love him. And who would <laughs> Singleton? Um, <clears throat> and then also in the non-player division, uh, Mike Claiborne does Cardinals uh, radio. Uh, the, the pre and the post, and and all, does some play by play. And Robert Ford's a lead uh, play by play. He's a Syracuse guy. He's a lead play by play guy in radio for the Houston Astros. And so our numbers are very small. And in the history of the game, I mean, I don't think we've had more than 10, 12 guys who have been voices of the team. You know, so. so, what do you see that as the responsibility, not necessarily of you, but as a leader in that community? How do we get? Number one, younger kids involved in that so that they can be the next Dave Sims. How do you find? How do we find well, those people? You know, I, I use the Joe DiMaggio line all the time. You know, why do you stay upbeat? You know, you've had ninety-five and hundred lost seasons and everything. And Joe DiMaggio said, you know, somebody asked him, Joe, why do you play so hard all the time? Because somebody has seen me for the first time. Nice, nice. And I that stayed with me. That really has stayed with me. So every game. I almost treat it like every game is a Super Bowl. And I am an energetic broadcaster anyway, so, you know, I, I like to keep up. And I think if I set an example, and, and I hear, I'm hear i hearing from guys who are in college now, black and white, like, hey, you know, I grew up listening to you. Oh, my God. That was me. <laughs> yeah, well, can you, uh, can you give me some tips? Can you, take a, can you take a listen to my tape or watch my tape or whatever? So, but, and, and then the other thing, too, you know, baseball trying to, trying to reinvigorate 
interest in, in, in the black community reinvigorate interest in baseball. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up in, you know, in Philly, we played every form of baseball. I mean, bot, not so much bottle caps, but, you know, tennis balls, half balls. Uh, we used to call these pimple balls. They were these raised little bouncing. We could deans up here in New York, um, you know, played softball, played baseball. Um, and, and that's, you don't see that now. And the society has changed a heck of a lot. And it's a shame because, you know, I watch a basketball game. I say, damn, that could be a really good outfielder right there. That guy could mm-hmm. be a great second baseman. He'd be a heck of a short side. He'd be a great catcher. You know, you watch, watch DBs and, and uh, guys that touch the ball a lot in football and you think about how they would project in baseball. So I want to go on to something that we sort of talked about, um, basically that I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, something that happened just in the last two weeks in two different sports and two different um, communities. The uh, Coach McDermott at Creighton, um, with his, if you wish, racist statement. And then just a couple of days ago, Myers Leonard with the Miami Heat, an anti-Semitic um, statement on the live stream video game. Wow. Um, that, that's a lot in two weeks in 2020. And also, if you wish, a buzzword of cancel culture. Right? What, what do we do? Right? Okay, Leonard was fined $50,000, but I don't know if you saw Julian Edelman's beautiful yeah let's go to shabbat dinner and have that conversation i don't want to catch up i i hope i hope he takes him up on the offer and edelman is already that's a second really big nationwide solid that edelman has done because when uh it was uh, jackson with uh sean jackson with the eagles mm-hmm. said some stupid things and retweeted some things about hitler I'm like, really dude and Edelman, you know, reached out to him. As for McDermott, I and it's here's a guy's basketball coach. He's got probably ninety five percent of it. Matter of fact, I didn't want his games this year. You know, he seemed like a decent guy. I've spoken to him a couple three times over the year. Years, you know, he's got fifteen players on his team. Impact players are probably eleven of them are black. And the fact that he would have that in his lexicon, in his, in you know, in his psyche, you know, I need everybody to stay on the plantation. It's like, really? You went there and mm-hmm. went there twice? And it's like, dude, you need to have a sit down with the fellas, man. You need to sit down with some educators. You need to sit, you know, you need to rethink a few things. That You just don't do that. Uh, it was way out of line. I was surprised. I mean, the fact that in this day and age, given all the things that we've seen and the things that people have been caught saying on tape and everything, that he would, that it would something like that would slip out of his head out of his mouth. And so I, I, in terms of cancel culture, I'm not, I don't think he should be fired or anything, but he did. <laughs> I heard that they didn't suspend him for the Nova game, but they suspended him for the game. after. That. Right. <laughs> Pretty exactly. weak on the administration's part. That's really weak. Come on. You know, I forget they were playing a lesser opponent. I forget who that next opponent was, but Nova, obviously, you know, top 25 time before Gillespie can hurt. That that wasn't cool by the administration. That was not right. And and the kid down, the, I'm not. I don't even know who this player is in the, the basketball kid. Right, that's I, what everybody's saying. Nobody knew him until he said this. I couldn't pick him out of the line. Yeah, I mean, wow. I just heard that he said it, and I was like, dude, man, that's way off. out of line. So, so about education, let's talk about the hat that you're wearing on your head. Your keeper today, forty two. Give us a little background of that. Obviously, we know it's Jackie Robinson. But yeah. What does that hat mean to you? And when you wear that on the air, what does it mean to us? Or what should it, it, mean, to us? it means to me that I grew up, you know, I think after my dad, I, I would say Jake Robinson is, is certainly right up there. 
on my hero chart, even mm-hmm. though I never saw him play. <clears throat> I never met him. I did meet his wife, Mrs. Robinson. Right. But to have read his story multiple times, have seen the, both movies multiple times, and knowing how tough baseball is, and knowing the, and the stories that I heard from people, like Richie Ashman told me, he says, we were ordered to spike, kick, spit, cuss at him at all mm-hmm. times. And and Whitey, Richie Ashburn, his nickname was Whitey. Whitey said, the more we did, the more he shoved it up our keister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Edit there by me. Um, and and I went and looked up the numbers. His numbers in Philly were terrific, Jackie Robinson's numbers. So, I mean, a man's courage, his fortitude, he was an Army officer, was court-martialed, was cleared, uh, declared innocent. I mean, I have just the utmost respect and admiration. And I wouldn't be, be you know, Dave Sims, TV voice of the Seattle Mariners without – what he did, and, and and that whole generation of the uh, first wave of black uh, players that came in, the you know, majority of them were the Dodgers at that time. So even went further by said Martin Luther King would not be able to do what he did yeah. of what Jackie Robinson did. Expand on that for a moment. That was one of the main conversations that they had. I'm told from you know, everything I've read and heard, um, the fact that you know, Jackie went, he was in the Army, he was an officer, went through the court martial, and then – you know, what he did on the field spoke for itself. And the fact that here's a guy, he was the alpha of alpha males, could hold basically hold his tongue for a couple of years and, and not fight back, which is really one of the great strengths of courage and fortitude I've ever heard of. And to do that um, and, and do it nonviolently. And then he, you know, then he went back to himself and, you know, argue, well, it was kind of an argument, be argumentative and stand up for yourself and, and, you know, get in the umpire's face and, and fight back against other players. I mean, if you're Dr. King, you know, young kid coming out of Morehouse College down in Atlanta, you're like, whoa, this is impressive. And he is, here's a guy that's made an impact on the world and with the courage and everything. So he was a, just a fantastic, shining example uh, for Dr. King and, and the rest of his history. Is there somebody in baseball today? I don't want to say like a Jackie Robinson, but with what's going on today in terms of speaking out um, against racism, anti-Semitism, is there a person out there, obviously use your voice, but is there a player that then goes off the field and you see really being a leader? Um, I don't know um, if there's a player, but I know um, last summer, so the pandemic was like, it started like a year ago today. Exactly. Exactly. A year ago today. And then we went up with the Mariners, had some uh, discussions, some uh, in-house uh, Zoom I did with uh, black players. At the time, we had nine or ten guys on the roster. Mm. And I did another one for MLB, and then uh, I did a couple of them for MLB. And most of our guys were really outspoken, especially D. Gordon, who's now with the Reds, Tywon Walker, now with the Mets. Uh, they And they used their voice on social media uh, to really uh, – talk about those issues and, and talk about uh, discrimination and how, you know, what we have to do to stop it and, uh, and to engage with the public. I thought they did a good job, a very good job. Kyle Lewis, rookie of the year for the Mariners last year, uh, a really good job. So I think a lot of guys, and if you look at it's the Players Alliance, it's a basically a group of black players. I think it's led by uh, uh, Grandy McCurtis Granderson. And you see Sabathia and a bunch of current and, and retired players. And they're doing their part, too, in terms of uh, community outreach and, and being outspoken and using their platforms on their website. They've done a great job. Yeah. 
So I want to go to what you do on a daily basis, Seattle Mariners. Now you're coming out west in a couple of days. Hopefully when you're down in L.A., you'll be able to visit Sinai Temple. And, of course, to uh, your brother-in-law, big shout-out to Danny Corson, big friend of uh, Sinai Temple and a little plug for Culinary Jewish Academy. There you go. Uh, cooking in an amazing way. He's gotten me in the kitchen with my children, so good. I appreciate that. Hopefully he'll cook us a dinner when we get to meet in person. Uh, we're going to go back a couple of years to the, uh, not just a no-hit game, but perfect game by Felix Hernandez. We're going to take a look at this and a couple of questions for you. That is Felix Hernandez, the 2-2. He got him! 34 years! 119 games! It's finally happened! A perfect game by a Seattle Manor! It was done by the king, Felix Hernandez! The 23rd perfect game in Major League history. Third this year, Matt Cain of the Giants. Philip Bumber did it here in Seattle against the Mariners. And now Felix Hernandez, he puts his name in the record books with a perfecto. That was a rush. That was such a rush. The entire, from about the fifth inning on, you know, three, three innings. <clears throat> He's retired everybody in order, fourth inning. Whatever. Now he does it in the fifth inning. You're going, uh-oh. All right, somebody start digging out the facts. We're, yeah. We'll be headed to something. And then I was – I think I was on my my laptop, and the guys in the truck were getting stuff ready. And then it's seventh inning. Then the eighth inning, I was like, oh, my God, he's three outs away from the mortality. Oh, God. I was. I had to, like, during the break, <laughs> sort of, like, calm down. You got to have some, you know – Take it easy. Leave leave something, you know. Well, safe. you you were you yeah. were quoted you were quoted by saying that dugout superstition is not my concern. Telling the story of the game is what I do. Uh, take us through that. How do you tell the story of that game? Hey, you know, end of five. Felix is perfect. I mean, that's a story. I mean, you know, you're just somebody just getting in the car. And they don't want to hear a bunch of BS and tap dancing around. <laughs> hey, with no runs and no hit. He's throwing a freaking perfect game. Come on. Jeez. Break. I mean, that that, that whole thing. And, and Tim McCarver told me a story about that one time. And, because, what was it? In April, Umber had thrown a perfecto against us. So April must have been May. And, and, uh, Timmy was in town on a Friday night to do a Saturday uh, network game. And I see him, and hey, Tim, Dave said, hey, Hawaii, hey, man, Hawaii. Right? He says, hey, what's this I hear about you jinxing a perfect game? <laughs> now I'm like, yeah, really? He says, I'm glad you did what you did. I said, I fully support you. He says, I'll tell you a quick story. He says, I came home one day after doing a game, turn on the TV, and I left the game on. I was putting around, unpacking my bags and everything, and then about – Half hour later, I hear the guy saying, well, he's got a no-hitter in the eighth inning. And he said, well, if I had known that, if you you got to continue to say it, I'd have sat down and devoted complete attention to it. I never forgot that. Nice. You know, you're trying to get more people into the tent. You're not trying to ex- exclude people. And here's the thing. When I was going to, little, when I was going to, to grade school in Philadelphia, the Holy Cross School, and some, you, know, there was, you always had to worry about you had to cover up and you don't want anybody copying off or anything like that. I said, this isn't, that's not the situation we're in right now. I'm not trying to withhold information. I don't want you, I want you to know what the heck is going on. Nice, nice. 
you know, you know, and honestly, I get into an argument. Not an argument. We were playing golf with. I was at a char charity golf event here in, in Westchester, and uh, Ozzy Smith and I. We got to talk about that. Man, you can't be saying. I said, dude, you're in. The, you're in the. You're in the dugout. I have nothing. I'm up five flights. <laughs> if what I said carried that kind of weight, you think the teams I broadcast for would ever lose a game? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. If I had that kind of power, we'd go 150 and 12 every year. I mean, come on. They'd be worrying about the broadcaster's contract and not the manager. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So, I mean, get out of here. We're you know we're reporters. We're we're, we're you know we're storytellers. So in that in that video that I just showed, it was really interesting. And I'm not speaking as a rabbi who gives sermons. The master of the master pause. What I loved about that, right? You could have spoken for two minutes. Talk about the silence that a broadcaster can bring so that we as viewers can just take in the moment. Well, it's television. You can see. I mean, I, I put my simple declarative statement or statements, maybe two or three on it. Now it's the director's turn and to capture everything, the joy, the exhilaration, the excitement of the moment. And let it breathe. I mean, you know, one of my other heroes, Mr. Scully, laid out for a considerable amount of time. L.A. audience right here. There you go. He laid out after the hammer, after Mr. Aaron hit the home run number, uh, was it some 15 off Al Downing? He laid out for, I don't know, 40 seconds before he came out. You know, you know it happened in the deep south, a black man, you know, blah, 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 that whole thing. Um, it's telling now it's radio. I'd be, I'd be describing everything. Right, right. Here come the guys out of the bullpen. Here come the guys out of the dugout. They're jumping all over Felix in the middle of the diamond. Hats are flying. Guys are squeezing each other for joy and so, you know, in celebration of the accomplishment of Felix Hernandez who throws the 23rd uh, perfect game in Major League. You know, that's what I'd have done. I'm sure that's what my partner, my friend Rick Riz, did on the radio side. So mm -hmm. TV, you know, lay it out. Yeah, you just you know, underscore what we're, look, we're looking at and get the heck out of the way. Nice. Some breathing room, and then he come back. Hey, and then I came back with you know the third perfect game of the year. Matt Cain, Umber, now Felix, you know yada yada yada. And 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 at that point, I'm just sort of I'm following the director at that point. He's looking his guys. You know, we got I don't know 15, 18 cameras, and everybody's looking for a shot. So while he's punching it up, you know, I'll say something. Maybe I don't remember. What, I, I barely remember what happened the rest of the way. But you know, some things I did I didn't need it. Didn't need any uh, commentary to pictures, you know. Rod Stewart, every picture tells a story, don't it? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, you just leave it alone. Right. I think that's a great lesson, actually, to just when it, when are those moments to just leave it alone and to allow that. I yeah. actually have a shout out from Coney Island Dave on Facebook here. Hey. Watching oh. us here on Rabbi on the sidelines and also watching Syracuse, Virginia. So uh, we'll conclude with some predictions here. Uh, NCAA tournament, what do you have for us? I saw Gonzaga. Uh, yeah, I watched that the other, the other night against BYU. BYU had them, I think, 10 11 when I tuned in, and then boy, they just grinded them coming down the stretch. Maybe if Mark Few, this is going to be finally the year he can win the whole damn thing. Um, and I, I've not seen a lot about Baylor, but clearly they've been at the top. I'm hoping for somebody, a friend of mine, you know, at this stage of my life, a lot of times I root for friends, and I'm a big Bob <laughs> Huggins fan at West Virginia. Nice. And, and that conference has been outstanding this year, the Big 12. And, you know, they play tremendous defense. And a lot of times, Hugs teams don't score a lot. But, boy, defensively, they're a pain in the butt to play. 
catch them on a night where they're always playing lockdown defense. And if they're making shots, they could be tough. I mean, that would sort of be a wild card team. I would go with West Virginia. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, there's like five other teams that that are out there. I just not have not seen that many. I know the ACC is way down. Big Ten, uh, yeah, Big Ten is way up. Um, I like what Michigan's done. What Juwan has done there, man. Yeah. Tremendous. And we got coach. We got Coach Martelli coming on here in April. Say hello to Phil from St. Joe's, man. He uh, he hit the, in high school. His JV coach is a dear friend of mine, uh, named Fred Fred Douglas, who was a Philadelphia policeman, oh. uh, Fairmount Park policeman, I think, then a Philadelphia policeman. He's like 85, 86 years old, still going strong in Philly. But uh, Martelli's one of the good guys, and I thought that. Juwan did a spectacular job hiring him. Philly, uh, St. Joe's did a bad job getting rid of Phil. Mm-hmm. That was not right. I mean, he's a you know, he's a Philly guy. We got a Philly crowd here watching, so they're all rooting for this. Yeah, man. Um, I, and I told Danny, I told my nephew, Danny Sutton, uh, Zachary, I said, make sure you go up and introduce yourself to uh, Coach Martelli and, and tell him, you know, that you're my nephew and you know, yada, 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 connection. I mean, a lot of these guys like Martelli, Beheim, Coach K, just one one last question about coaches versus cancer, what they're doing on the court. And, you know, we talked about race and faith and you said, perhaps there's no faith there. Um, But to me in my business as faith, I see faith, not just defined as how many Shabbat services or Catholic masses people go to, but just as you defined it actually, right. How we live our life the values that come and I believe that sports has that, has that, uh, has those moments. It's funny you say that because, you know, I've done, you know, during the, with the pandemic and I've been here during the off season, but, you know, there's so many aspiring broadcasters out there and uh, young kids are in college and they're doing podcasts. I mean, everybody's, you know, you got availability and they always want, they always think there's this one magic bullet piece of advice. And I always, and I'll give you the clean version of what I, what I tell them. Uh, the golden rule is always in effect. I said, if you, if you can just ride on that, you're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that, that's that's one of the things. And I, that was drummed into my head a long time ago. And, and you know, as life goes on, man, you see it. It, it really it carries a lot of weight, man. Golden rule is always in effect. Well, that was actually the last question. You read my mind. I always end with these amazing guests of the message to the young kids of what they want to do out there. I always say every bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah sits right here in my office and says, I want to play in the NBA. I want to hit the home run, the grand slam, right? What is the message to our young people who love sports, who are active in a faith community? What do they do going forward? Yeah, there's an Emerson, it's, uh, yeah, Emerson quote about you know everything that, worth doing uh you do it with enthusiasm that, that's not the exact quote but that's the essence of it and i i i, I use that all the time and, and i think that you know it's like uh i remember <laughs> it was with tommy was sort of one time and i someone asked me how you feel i said yeah, a little bit down you know i'm a little caught cold here and tommy says what are you kidding me he says you got one of the best jobs in america you want the best jobs and best guys in the business don't even shut the hell up and, and dig down deep and just get it done you don't feel you don't feel 100 too bad go get it done i was like <laughs> coach <laughs> you know, and you got to be enthusiastic about it, all your endeavors, man. And I think it, it has carried me a long way uh, for a long time, man. And, and I, I am forever grateful for that, for sure. Well, we are forever grateful for you for joining us here on Rabbi on the Sidelines. Forever grateful for being the voice of my youth and that passion on sports and uh, Syracuse and Philly. Uh, let's follow our Seattle Mariners into an, a wonderful season. Hopefully we'll see you here in L.A. when they – play the Dodgers and uh, hopefully the Angels. 
Uh, next week on Rabbi on the Sidelines, Dave McMenamin, ESPN and Lakers analyst, Syracuse University graduate, and have a wonderful week. Dave, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Shalom. Sure.